Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we know it is possible to transform the entire food system from the leading cause of climate, the climate crisis, to a leading solution of the climate crisis. I'm Laura Headland, and uh, this week I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, for most of today's show, I'll be replaying a presentation of Sheila Watts-Clutati. She is a Canadian Inuit advocate and author of the book, The Right to be Cold. She spoke at the Nobel Conference 55 at Gustavus College this last week. And their presentation was Climate Changed, Facing Our Future, and that was September 24th and September 25th. She said in her presentation that the climate crisis is not something we can think our way out of. It's something we need to feel. And you know, many of us have been deeply moved by the raw, penetrating emotion of Greta Thunberg. So I want to start today's show by playing a clip of her um, speaking at the UN this week. First climate strike was a lonely event a little over a year ago, and in the intervening time you have sparked the interest of millions, literally of children around the globe, demanding action for climate change. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, my message is that we'll be watching you. <laughs> This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. The popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us we who have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees of global temperature rise, the best odds given by the IPCC, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit back on January 1st, 2018. Today that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable 
and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say, we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. So this, of course, was Greta Thunberg speaking at the UN conference. And Eric, you're behind the mic right now. What do you think of that? Sure. I think it's inspiring. I think that it's important for everyone to hear. I think there's a lot of messages that people willingly dismiss because it doesn't fit their narrative of how we need to adapt to climate change. And she's able to penetrate the narrative. Uh, and, and, And yet it's it's. Uh, what I have is so complex of an issue right now because I have in front of me The Economist magazine, um, which I think is like one of the r- remaining remnants of really solid journalism. And it says to, could, to decomp- decarbonize an economy is not a simple subtraction. It requires a near complete overhaul. So what mm-hmm. are the big solutions? Yeah, I think that what she's saying is very prescient because she goes beyond the simple narrative that everyone wants to repeat. We hear it all the time at democratic debates and so forth, that this is a business opportunity. This is an opportunity to make money. And she's saying, no, the world's on fire. We need to address this problem, even if it doesn't make money. Even if this comes at an economic cost, it still needs to be solved. Right, because what is what is life? I mean, that we've reduced everything to this this money perspective. And, and it's, it's actually a big part of, um, of absencing. It's just not being alive to what is real because water, water is life. That's what's real in our, in our society. That's what's going to last, the future generations. These are the things that matter. And we're caught up, and she says it so well, in some illusions around this money thing that we're all sort of activated around, too. And how do we create something better? And I, I want to play this other clip because she was also uh, she testified in front of um, yeah, the Congress. So uh, this was a Republican talking to her. Sailing across the ocean and you're picking up trash along the way. And for every one piece of trash that you pick up, there's a boat right next to you dumping out five pieces. How would that make you feel? Um. First of all, we were going so fast, there wasn't enough to pick up in the trash. All right, well, if you were a slow sailor like me, how would that make you feel? Well, first of all, if you use that logic, then I am also dumping a lot of trash in the ocean. And uh, then I would, I would stop dumping my trash in the ocean and tell the other boat to stop dumping their trash in the ocean as well. And, 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 and that's... that's that a that was such such a little brilliant remark to it. It's like I would just stop dumping my trash. But one of the things uh, when I first heard that, I was just laughing. Uh, the the idea of uh, uh, and I wish I could talk about this easier. Um, but this the, the, what was sitting behind that Republican when he was saying uh, what, what emotion was sitting behind him when he was like saying, "Well, look at they're going to take it from us, and so we got to do this instead of them." It, it, it's this it's this sort of ego driven absencing motion that that seems to be blind. Uh, it seems to be um, like we're stuck in some way. Did any of that make sense to you, Eric? Yeah, it absolutely so, seems to be driven by a sense of. Well, I, I'm not guilty. You're guilty, too. Right, I'm right. not at fault. Yeah, it's not my fault. Don't it's your fault. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. Don't you do it. You do it. And I even saw this in this one big letter leader. He did something really atrocious. And the first thing I say is, they're doing atrocious, too. Look at them. Look at them. So when Greta says that we're not mature enough, I really feel like that's one of these very, very powerful talking points is that we're just simply not mature enough. And and I am honestly afraid. Um, I'm also going to read a little bit more from this Economist magazine because I think uh, they say um, to understand the context, it is important to understand the things that climate change is not. It is not the end of the world. Humankind is not poised on teetering on the edge of extinction. The planet itself is not in peril. Earth is a tough old thing and will survive. And though much may be lost, much of the wondrous life that makes 
Earth unique, um, will persist. So, but climate change is a dire threat to countless people. One with the planetary scope is not as absolute stakes. It will displace tens of millions. It will disrupt our farms. So these disruptive things, we're not really sure of all of the consequences of this radical experiment that we're doing on the planet right now. And so um, the other thing is, from an emotional level, I know I have been working on climate change for decades. I really have. And I am so frustrated at not seeing anything move faster, too. And yeah, it seems like they keep moving the benchmarks of what we need to hit oh well this is a critical point we can't go past this we go past it and you go oh well it'll be all right but just don't go past this number right oh, well, it'll be all right we just have to solve this by in 20 years no we can solve it in 30 years yeah yeah and that's I mean, one of the, we always are we're used to it's gonna be a happy story where's the good story it's all gonna work out and uh, yeah, I don't think the planet's going to die, but I do think that millions of people may die, and we are really hurting our future generations. And 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 I, the, I think the solutions are out there, but we're not. We're somehow we're not coming together enough to to create that real change that we want and need. And and I think a big part of it is how do we take our own responsibility? And I know when I was listening to heard heard Greta, I really questioned myself too. I mean, have I done enough? You know, I. Uh, what more can I do? Yeah, I think I mean, Gritik points this out in her most recent speech, that it is on a system that's based entirely on unlimited economic growth. And when you perceive everything through an opportunity to grow economically, you're, of course, going to continue contributing to climate change. Right. And it's it, it, but it's also a fairy tale of economic growth. And uh, this um, author, Eric, um, Eric Fromm, wrote a book called To Have or To Be. And he said, as long as we stay and have consciousness, so we're we're actually object consciousness, then, you know, then you can have the fairy tale. But if we can sort of slow ourselves down to being, I mean, it, I know this may seem complicated, but let's like really how much food do we need to eat? How much we, we have enough? How do we create uh, economics? that mirrors the abundance in our soil and our soul. Does that make any sense? I hope. It does make sense. It does. I'm not awesome. going to say my answer. Cool. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to listen uh, to a presentation from Nobel Conference on Climate Change. The Audubon Centre of the Northwoods on Grindstone Lake west of Sandstone offers a great variety of environmental learning experiences for people of all ages running year-round. But did you know you can book your own event here at the centre? Check out our lakeside dining hall and the variety of lodging and meeting accommodations available. Visit us on the web at audubon-centre.org or call 320-245-ACNW. The Audubon Centre of the Northwoods. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Tom Hartman here telling you that solar energy isn't just for environmentalists. Switching to all energy solar is actually perfect for reducing your carbon footprint while also saving money on your monthly electric bill. The fact that solar panels cause no earth-harming emissions while it's producing energy is a bonus. Who in the world could object to that? But they can also help you save money month after month for decades. And they do it with a clean footprint. So go green and start saving money today by visiting allenergysolar.com. Hey everyone, Ellie Krug here from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. This month, I'm sharing about opportunities to hear me in person. One opportunity is at Grace Lutheran Church in Andover, Minnesota on October 6th from 6 to 8 p.m. There, I'll be presenting my human inclusivity turning gray area thinking. Go to graceandover.org for details. This is a free event. That's me, Ellie Krug, the idealist, trying to make the world better. I hope to see you on October 6th at Grace Lutheran Church. Hackers. 
ransomware, security breaches. As I speak, cyber criminals are stepping up their attacks on businesses like yours. Hi, Mark Sommerfeld of Rymark. Rymark has the expertise and experience necessary to navigate your company to safe water. We launch our process with a network security assessment. We'll uncover the hidden threats to your business and provide you with a map to peace of mind. And it's free. Call 651-328-8900 or go to rymarkit.com to schedule your free security assessment today. The University of Minnesota Center for Spirituality and Healing is offering a community course specifically for health professionals called Food Matters for Health Professionals on October 10th and 11th. This one-and-a-half-day intensive workshop will explore the role of food, lifestyle, and cooking in preventative health and well-being, as well as the impact food has on disease management. It includes hands-on cooking in the kitchen and full meals. Early bird costs available through September 19th. Register now at csh.umn.edu. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and today we're talking all things climate change, and we're going to be playing a. Um a presentation from the Nobel Conference on Climate Change, um, and I'm going to just play this clip and let it uh, roll for most of the show now. Good morning. Sheila Watt-Cloutier, or Sila, as she is known in her own Inuktitut language, is best known for reframing climate change as a human rights issue and for casting a spotlight on how climate change was destroying the Inuit way of life. For this ongoing work, she was honored with the Sophie Prize, which recognizes major contributions to environmentally sustainable development in 2005. And the Wright Livelihood Award, also called the Alternative Nobel Prize in 2015. A member of the indigenous Inuit of Arctic Canada, she grew up speaking her native Inuktitut language, traveling by dog sled, and eating fresh, nutrient-rich country food harvested by the community's hunters and fishermen, a way of life that is facing increasing challenges in today's Arctic. In 1995, she was elected chair of the Canadian branch of the Inuit Circumpolar Council, or ICC, an international non-governmental organization that promotes the rights of Inuit people internationally and develops long-term policies to safeguard the Arctic environment. Today, the ICC represents 160,000 Inuit of Alaska, Canada, Greenland, and Russia. So her, her reach has been huge. In 2002, Wad Cloutier was elected international chair of the ICC. And in 2005, she presented a landmark petition to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights on behalf of herself, 62 other named individuals, and all other affected Inuit populations of the American and Canadian Arctic. The petition argued that global warming impedes human rights by threatening an entire culture, the Inuit culture, and thus the Commission had an obligation to take corrective action on climate change. In her memoir, The Right to be Cold, published by the University of Minnesota Press in May, she argues that the fate of humanity as a whole rests on the fate of the Arctic. Please join me in welcoming Sila Watt-Cloutier. Urlakut, meaning good morning in my language, the Inuktitut language. Urlakut. I want to first acknowledge and pay respect to the fact that I am speaking on Dakota lands and also to thank President Bergman, Lisa, and everybody else who have been so helpful, and Ursula and the three students, Dan and Jasmine and Brittany for taking such good care of me in the last couple of days that I have been here. So it's, it's wonderful to be here in front of all of you and to all of the young people that are in the room, as well as the older people like myself. Um, yes, um, I grew up in Kudruk, a little community, an outpost camp of the Hudson's Bay Company, um, and traveled only by dog team the first 10 years of my life. And I learned my second language, which is English, 
when I was six and started school. And those are my humble beginnings before I was sent off to school at a very early age of 10 without my family and parents. And so we lived in a very small community where we all helped one another to survive and thrive in a very sustainable way. And so what I want to share with you today is about our communities and who we are and how we've been impacted by the global world. Because, you know, the world has come to know the Arctic for its wildlife more than its people. And often it's because there's large companies sometimes that use the Arctic wildlife to market their products. You know, one that you've seen, I'm sure, many times, the polar bear and the seal frolicking around in the, in the, uh, the ice drinking their pop. <laughs> Which is an unlikely partnership because one is lunch. So many of these uh, misguided movements, you know, in, in terms of romanticizing the Arctic and the misguided animal rights movements have really put the protection of wildlife before understanding and respecting the impacts of those movements on its people. And so I try my best to teach the world that we are a very remarkable people who live at the top of the world. And so, Inuit culture is based on the ice, the snow, and the cold, and its very foundation, in fact, depends on the weather and the climate being cold, freezing cold. And so all living things, including the animals and the Inuit hunting culture, really do thrive on that cold. And therefore, when the climate changes and it warms, it creates a, a, a great imbalance in the cycles of nature, which allows for all living things to be healthy in our world, that cold. So the ice and snow and the cold in the Arctic for us is all about transportation and mobility and in the pursuit of healthy organic country food that we rely on for our health. And so therefore when those kinds of conditions become precarious due to the climatic changes, it becomes an issue of safety and security first and foremost. And then our right to culture, our right to educate our children on the land, and the ice and our right to safety, our right to health, all become impacted and minimized. And sometimes we really do need to be reminded, or if you haven't heard this, we were once a people that were really highly independent. We had our own education systems, our own justice, health systems based on indigenous knowledge and wisdom. And we prepared our young people for the challenges and opportunities of life in a very holistic way. And then th things started to happen very quickly. The changes happened quickly. We weren't able to have that full control over our lives. And changes and the stressors began to impact our way of our well-being on so many levels. Because I believe the root of the challenges that we're facing now in the North are the results of those historical traumas from dependencies that are both from the past and ongoing, dependencies, for example, to substances. You hear about that everywhere in the media, to institutions, to processes, which now erode our sense of identity, our sense of self-worth, and lessen our ability to really think for and act for ourselves. And so these, in turn, have translated as the mon are translated into the monumental health and social challenges that are faced by all of us in our communities today. And they're often misunderstood as our inability to adapt to the modern world. But in reality, that couldn't be further from the truth. We're probably one of the most adaptable people in the world considering the environment that we live in. And so Canadian history, and much of history, is not well known by many of my own fellow Canadians, in fact, and have not served us very well on so many fronts. The social, health, and judicial challenges we face today, as I say, are not from yesterday, there, and there is certainly a context to them. And the historical traumas that many people have not heard about, the forced relocations, children that were sent away at a very young age to be educated by strangers, so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we were playing a lecture um, from Nobel Conference 55. This lecture is by Sheila Watt uh, Cloutier, um, and we'll return right after this break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at Seward.coop. Connections Radio Show this Saturday will be featuring part one of the Fall St. Paul Art Crawl Artist Connections Conversations. The Fall St. Paul Art Crawl takes place October 11th, 12th, and 13th. During our Connections Radio Show, we'll be talking about oil painting, flute playing, and scratchboard art. For more information on the St. Paul Art Crawl, go to stpaulartcrawl.org. And don't miss this Saturday's show at 9 a.m. here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts, 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. I'm Candy Braffle, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine and host of Green Tea Conversations, a new show for people who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and play a more active role in their family's well-being. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts who share the latest in natural holistic approaches in a fun and informative way. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversation as we awaken to natural health. Visit us at naturaltwincities.com. Chances are after spring cleaning, you missed a spot. A couple really big spots, like your roof and siding. Run your fingers across your siding. You'll likely get a gross residue. And your roof probably has some black streaks, too. Your roof and siding aren't always easy to clean, but they're definitely the most visible parts of your home that give it its curb appeal. So let Blue Sky Services clean your roof and siding. Blue Sky's safe, soft wash method won't cause any damages and will make your home look like new. Right now, Blue Sky Services is running their summer special where you can get your whole house roof and siding cleaned starting at only $447. That's the most viewed parts of your home cleaned for only $447. Then mention AM950 when you call Blue Sky Services to get an additional $50 off. So get the curb appeal back on your home and call Blue Sky Services at 952-467-2447. That's 952-467-2447. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for sunny skies today with a high near 62. Tonight, rain with a low around 51. Sunday, more rain with a high near 70. And Monday, partly sunny with a high around 82. Nightingale is the Eat Local Minnesota Restaurant of the Week. They have a menu comprised of snacks, bruschettas, and small plates designed for sharing but is sure to satisfy your appetite. Plus, they have thoughtfully crafted cocktails. Nightingale is located at 2551 Lindale Avenue South in Minneapolis. Find details at eatlocalminnesota.com. So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're replaying uh, a clip from Nobel Conference 55. If you go on uh, Gustavus' site, you can listen to all of the archives from the presentation this last week of the uh, um, the climate change facing our future uh, Nobel Conference 55. What, who, you're, who we're hearing from right now is... Um, is Sheila Watt Cluity, and she's a Canadian Inuit advocate and author of the book *The Right to Be Cold*. A necessity to be able to, in this rapid times of change in our world and trauma, that we need to have those skills be entrenched in our young people today. And these are the same skills that this young generation in this very room will need to become the change agents and the championers of our environment and our planet as we move forward in this together. And so remember, it is the stressors of the first wave of these tumultuous changes which we are trying to cope with, which are often not well understood. And so with the, and we have been grappling with many other issues, not just in terms of environment, but with the depletion of the ozone layer, which causes health challenges where our hunters have developed cataracts and skin conditions from the higher levels of UV radiation in, more, in, in, in many numbers. 
and we've had to deal with toxins from far away, the persistent organic pollutants in the 1980s when we discovered that the nursing milk of our mothers and the blood cord was showing to have toxins in our, in our uh, bodies and in the nursing milk of our mothers, that we were being poisoned from afar. And during the UN global negotiations, which I took a, a, a very strong lead in, we worked hard to shift this seemingly just a chemical and environmental story to one of human health. It was not an easy task, believe me. And knowing full well the contaminants issue was a difficult fight in putting the human face on the global map when I was still chair of the Inuit Circumpolar Council. And after a long preparation in, two, in December uh, 2005, and with partnerships, in fact, with Americans, with the Center for International Environmental Law in Washington, D.C., and with Earth Justice in uh, San Francisco, where my legal teams, we launched and we prepared and launched a legal petition to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. And I've always said it was not, it was a way of reaching out to Americans, because we were targeting at the time the Bush administration. We thought then that was challenging. <laughs> I, I won't go there. <laughs> I won't go there. And so we felt that we were not striking out, but we were reaching out to the Canadian civil society to hear what it is, because they were already ahead of their government at the time and wanting to help, which is why I had American legal teams with me uh, working very hard on this. But I, along with 62 fellow Inuit signatories from Canada and Alaska, launched the pioneering work on linking climate change to human rights. And although in the end the Commission chose not to go forward with the petition uh, for various reasons, which I won't get into today, but there's more detail in the book, The Right to be Cold, there's a, there was a historical hearing to educate them on the legal impacts between climate change and human rights. But on the outgrowths of the petition, I believe, have made way for others to be courageous. And I believe that we did change the discourse on the issue of it not just being an economical, uh, economic issue or a political issue or a scientific issue, but one of the human uh, issue, human dimension and human rights. And so I think the outgrowths did help in that way. And there were other people that were able to then move forward. And, and to this day, there's still movement uh, to go in the direction of human uh, rights justice, eco-justice. Uh, in the rumble trumble of national and international politics, we heard a little bit th about that yesterday with the, the work that our scientists do, the language of economics and technology will always call for further delay and great certainty. And moreover, just focusing on the economics and the politics of the issue tends to silo or separate these issues from one another, as opposed to recognizing these strong connections between rights, environment, health, economies, and society. And so framing our stories, I believe, in terms of the connections between fundamental human rights, including the right to health, and environmental change refocuses the debate on humanity and not just efficiency. I think we must remember that the doctrine of collective human rights unites our indigenous world to diverse cultures, peoples, countries all around the world. And I think this important understanding of our collective connection as a shared humanity can spur decision makers to act in a way that no dry technical report ever can. And so ultimately, addressing environmental degra de degradation of indigenous lands, including climate change in the language of human rights and building human rights protections into our global climate agreements are more than just strategic choices. They are ethical imperatives that demand the world retake a principal path and courageously reconnect to solve these monumental challenges that we're faced with. So now here we are, the Arctic is an area of utmost importance in the minds of global policymakers, economic decision makers, and researchers, but this interest needs to be better informed by awareness of what is happening to the largely indigenous and subsistence-oriented communities 
that provide that human face to the Arctic. Many of our communities are small, smaller than this room, definitely. My community is about 27, 2,800 people. And they don't necessarily have great political power or influence at the national and international levels, but they are the heart and soul of the Arctic. It's very difficult to put ourselves on that map. And I was sharing with the students yesterday afternoon a disappointing email I received where I was asked by the New York Times to do an op-ed uh, op piece, an opinion piece editorial. And they came to me, and I worked very hard on getting that in because they said they wanted to have it out this week during the summit in New York, only to hear yesterday that the editorial board decided not to choose my editorial to go into that piece this week. And so we just have to keep plugging away and keep trying and trying to get those voices heard from the Arctic and from indigenous peoples who have ways in which we want to contribute. We don't want just to be the victims to what is happening in our world. So an Inuit culture, as I say, every challenging moment was an opportunity for teaching our children how to become those proficient providers. But again, as I say, and I said earlier, by developing their skills in a very holistic manner. And it's because technical skills of how to harvest that animal to bring it home to your family is one thing. But the characters, and, and that's, that's how the world works. But the character skills are about how you work. And that is important. As, as young people, this holistic approach to learning is the hallmark of Inuit culture. I have a mosquito going around me here. <laughs> Maybe followed me down from the Arctic. We have lots of them. This wisdom, which is often sourced from the ice and snow and the cold, is equally now at stake in being lost as the ice itself. So it's not just about the ice and the polar bears. And I want to say that very strongly here. It is about our children, our families, our communities. Our environment and climate were predictable and very rich in lessons, allowing our ingenious culture through traditional knowledge to be passed down generation to generation. One has to remember, we are the inventors of the Hayak, which is that boat that has been engineered and replicated throughout the world. We engineered that. We are the people who can build a home of snow warm enough and be joyful like this man you see in the cold. That's who we are. If there's ingenuity at play here. We can read conditions like nobody's business, and we can not only just survive but thrive in this kind of cold. However, again, as I say, things are no longer predictable, and this traditional knowledge can no longer often be counted upon. Everything is changing and changing rapidly. Globalization has hit the Arctic and its people, impacting our health our cultural way of life, our environment, and our climate. And as that ice melts, wisdom, the wisdom that has taught us over the millennia, now threatens to disappear along with that ice. Everything is connected through our common atmosphere, not to mention our, our common spirit and our humanity. What affects another affects us all. And as the Arctic melts, other places such as uh, the small island developing states are sinking, as well as many other places. I heard about the, the highway here on my way here, where there's some water raised, rising up onto your, your highway at certain periods of the year. It's happening everywhere now. The Arctic is that cooling system. It is the air conditioner, if you will. As it melts, other places are being impacted whether it be the droughts, the floods, the tornadoes, or the intense hurricanes. From farmers in Australia, to the fishermen in the Gulf of Mexico, to the homeowners of New Orleans and Oklahoma, the devastation escalates, and we are all connected. The world I knew, and the world my grandsons would inherit, is changing very rapidly. I have two grandsons, one is 22, one is six. Climate change in the Arctic is not just an environmental issue with unwelcomed economic consequences. It is a matter of health, again I say, livelihood, food, individual, and cultural survival. 
It is a human health issue affecting our families. The Arctic is not wilderness or a frontier waiting to once again be exploited. It is our home. It is our homeland. And all of these challenges that we're facing are not necessarily of our doing. We have benefited the least from industry, and yet we are the most disproportionately negatively impacted by the impacts of globalization. How ironic and sad that a people who have lived sustainably for millennia and far from the sources of these pollutants and greenhouse gases would bear the brunt of their damaging effects. For too long, we have asked the world, stop bringing harm to a way of life. So we're going to take a break right now. This is an awesome presentation by Sheila Watt-Kluate. She's the author of the book, The Right to Be Cold, and she spoke at Nobel Conference 55 this last week. Most of us try to be careful about how we eat and the safety of our food. At Total Dog Company, we believe in giving our dogs nutritious, safe food, too. We offer a variety of kibble, canned, and frozen and dehydrated raw foods. We study ingredient lists of every food we sell. We don't sell products that are primarily vegetable protein or that contain generic proteins, byproducts, fillers, or artificial preservatives. Find us in New Hope off of 169 at 9432 36th Avenue North and at TotalDogCompany.com. I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chushke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. Saturdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We are awake. The Audubon Centre of the Northwoods on Grindstone Lake west of Sandstone offers a great variety of environmental learning experiences for people of all ages running year-round. But did you know you can book your own event here at the centre? Check out our lakeside dining hall and the variety of lodging and meeting accommodations available. Visit us on the web at audubon-centre.org or call 320-245-ACNW. The Audubon Centre of the Northwoods. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. Everything is connected. Environment, economy, foreign policy, sustainability, human rights, and leadership in the 21st century. This is the presentation by Sheila Watt-Kluate, and she was she's the author of the book, Right to be Cold, and she was speaking at the Nobel Conference last week. And we're just playing her presentation today, so we'll, we'll play it some more. But imagine the equivalent level of emergency every single day without end where you feel that loss of what is happening all around you. Imagine no drinking water 
not for a week or two, or for, but for decades. Imagine being poisoned from afar in the 80s when our Inuit women had to think twice about nursing their babies. Imagine women in your community going missing with no explanation for decades. The constant worry of your children who are high risk for self-destruction due to the intergenerational traumas and the structural racism of our institutions which make you feel less than what you are meant to be. What if a constant state of emergency became the new norm? What kind of psychological impact might that have on your people in your community? A history of this violence of our communities mirrors now the violence we are inflicting upon our planet. If there's anything that you take away today, I want you to understand that human trauma and planet trauma are one of the same. I understand the economy is volatile, and, but growing the economy in the same unsustainable way causes irreparable damage to the atmosphere, and it's forcing the planet to react with violent storms and other erratic events. This is not unlike the child who has suffered trauma. Without care, a space to heal, and effective coping mechanisms, self-destructive behavior is inevitable. What we are seeing in our communities and in our atmosphere are not abnormal behaviors. What we are seeing are perfectly normal reactions to extremely abnormal circumstances. And I say again, human trauma and planet trauma are one of the same. So here we are. I don't think we can think our way out of this crisis. I think we've tried lots of politicking, economy, economic solutions, technology, a lot of it hasn't worked. I think we need to reassure society that change will not punish economy, but rather provide an opportunity to flourish in the future, creating a better world. And I think we talk a lot about reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada. If we truly want to reconcile as citizens of the world, we have to feel our way through this crisis. We have to reconnect with everything and reconnect with one another, with nature, and with the indigenous peoples who so want to contribute to the solutions. I think if we solve the, the problems that we face in the indigenous communities, we will solve the climate crisis. I think we will solve the economic crisis if we can do this right. I was, um, as I gear towards uh, finishing, I was in um, Australia a couple of years ago after my book was out. Uh, three authors from Canada were chosen to go down to book festivals. And there I had a chance to meet Tim Flannery, one of the world's greatest climatologists from Australia, but we were in New Zealand at the time. And we were on a panel, and an uh, audience member at the end asked Tim, what is it that is lacking in this world of ours? when we know the science is in and we know it's collaborated by those on the ground who are most impacted by it. What is it that is preventing us? What is it that we don't have that seems to be lacking in taking action and moving forward with this? And his um, response was, was, was similar to what Dr. Ghosh was talking about yesterday. And his response was imagination. Imagining that we could do this differently. Imagining that we could make a new world with new ideas, innovative ways. And so imagine we must, as the younger generation that is here, to imagine. And it's not just about imagining and hope with, with, with empty words, but with action. To imagine that we can have a world that can be sustainable and healthy not just for the indigenous peoples who are most impacted, not just for the Arctic, but for all of us. And so I want to end by saying something on leadership that I was asked when I was teaching as a visiting scholar at Bowdoin College in Maine back in 2009. I was away from home for that year, and, um, but we were having a women's conference, Inuit women's conference in Iqaluit, where I was living for uh, 20 years in Nunavut, in the higher Arctic than where I live now in my birthplace. And they said, we know you're away, but we really want your voice to come into this conference that we're holding for Inuit women in Iqaluit, where I've lived and I, my home was still there. 
And they said, but you can be taped while you're down there on video, and then we'll, we'll, we'll show the video in the room. And they said, but we have a specific question for you that you can say whatever you want, but we have a specific question that we'd like you to answer on leadership. And so I asked, um, you know, I, we went around and we found the right videographer and, and so on. And here I was amongst the big trees in, in, on, the, on campus at Bowdoin College uh, signaling this message out to treeless Nunavut. <laughs> so it was quite an experience. But the question was, what does leadership mean to me? What does leadership mean to you, they asked. And so this is what I said. Leadership, to me, means to never lose sight of the fact that the issues at hand are much bigger than oneself. Leadership is about working from a principled and ethical place within oneself, and it is to model authentically, genuinely for others, a sense of calm, a sense of clarity, and a sense of focus. Leadership is to always check inward, to ensure one is leading from a position of strength, not fear or victimhood, so one does not project one's own limitations onto those you are modeling possibilities for. So I end with that, and I thank you for having me here. Nekomi. Well, that was such a wonderful presentation. I'm just going to say, um, again, uh, this was uh, a presentation at the uh, Nobel Conference 55, which was held this last week. This is the author of The Right to be Cold, Sheila Watt Colt. Acuity, and um, she's she was presenting on everything is connected: environment, economy, foreign policy, sustainability, human rights, and leadership in the 21st century. And one, a couple of her points were that human trauma on planet trauma are one and the same. Um, any, I mean, I like that. I, I and I think that, that 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 there's such a truth behind that that our that the the trauma that we are creating in the planet is because of the trauma that lives in us. And how do we make a choice to step outside of the drama and the trauma, which we see blaring all over the place? How do we find that leadership inside of ourselves to have calm, clarity, and focus? And how do we reconnect to the solutions and the need for imagination right now? The problems of climate change are overwhelming. Um, I want to go back to Greta Thunberg and her powerful, powerful voice speaking up this last week, and as well as all of the voices of young people in the union at, at the United Nations this last week, we can have the imagination to do something better. And food is a really easy way to do it. I mean, so when it comes to food, how does this bite that I eat impact water, climate, the soil? It's all about the little hummingbird doing the best to take down the big forest fire, and somehow. We can do it. I, I, we have to try at least. Take care. This has been Food Freedom Radio.